This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And I want to begin first, as we always do, by thanking our newest supporters of the channel, First, we've got the tip jar where Gerard Newberg made gold level status for next month. So thank you, Gerard, for your contribution. I also want to thank Carlton Scully, who also contributed via the tip jar. And we have some new members on a recurring basis, Vance Joachim, Tony Brown, and Daniel Zach. You can also uh, support the channel if you want at lon.tv support. We've got monthly and uh, one-time contribution options. And I want to thank everyone who has contributed to the channel on an ongoing basis, as well as everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because views on the channel equal channel growth. And I want to thank everyone for your support. Now, we don't have a sponsor this week, but we do have a non-ad, an affiliate link for a product that a friend of mine is bringing to market called the Flip Flop Case. And this guy has been uh, doing a lot of photography with me on some of the space shuttle missions I've covered in the past. And now he's uh, looking at marketing something that uh, kind of got invented by accident. He was figuring, wouldn't it be cool to have a flip flop as a phone case, and it's actually been uh, getting some good traction here, and he wanted to get the word out about it. So this is how it works. It's a flip-flop, basically, that doubles as a phone case. And what's nice is you can slide your hand in here and uh, get a more secure grip on your phone without having it fall out of your hand because it's strapped in here with the flip-flop thing. It also works pretty nicely as a phone stand, too. You can adjust the back here and uh, prop the phone up here on its own, as you can see. So if you want to go on a plane or something and uh, put the phone down on the tray, you can just uh, kind of pull this out a little bit and put it down like so, and it will hold the phone in place too. Pretty cool stuff. It's called the flip-flop case, and you can see it at the link down below. So let's take a look at what we did this week on the Extras channel. I had a very productive week unboxing a bunch of stuff, and a few uh, mini-reviews also made it up there as well. You can see all the stuff at lon.tv extras. And on the main channel, we reviewed four different products this week, including the Nokia Steel Heart Rate Watch, which is really pretty attractive. It's got analog hands on it, which is unusual for a modern fitness tracker. We looked at the Google Daydream View, which is a VR headset for high-end Android phones. Got to look at a very inexpensive projector that surprised me by how good it was for the price. It's not a perfect device, but if you're looking for a cheap projector, uh, this was actually decent for uh, well under 200 bucks. So you can check that one out in the uh, master playlist down below. And we looked at the Lenovo ThinkPad Yoga 370, kind of a higher end uh, laptop running Windows, of course, but it has a built-in active pen and a really nice little device, well-built, but uh, comes at a premium price tag. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week number 46 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, and I'm sure many of you have heard that you, YouTube has once again moved the goalposts for uh, monetization for small channels, and the latest thing now is that you have to get 4,000 hours of watch time in a one-year period, along with having 1,000 subscribers. At that point, you'll then be entered into consideration for the partner program after they have reviewed your channel. And by the partner program, I mean uh, being able to be monetized on YouTube. And we're kind of going back to uh, where YouTube was when things were first getting going with it. I've been on YouTube since it started, not doing this stuff initially, but 
I was uploading videos here and there. And one of the things that they used to do was that they would uh, send you an email if you had a video doing really well and ask you if you wanted to monetize that individual video. And they were uh, looking at different things. And uh, initially, when I started doing the tech reviews, that was kind of my motivator, which was to get a video out there that had enough interest to be able to be picked up by whatever algorithm was looking at uh, this monetization potential. And uh, that was really what got me going. So I do think that there is a good reason for what they did here, just because there wasn't a lot of brand protection uh, out there for the people that are advertising on the platform. And in order for me to continue doing what I do and everyone else continuing to do what they do on YouTube, uh, you need to have these large advertisers feeding revenue into this beast because the overhead for doing what YouTube does has got to be enormous. And I really appreciate the fact that I can uh, upload these multi-gigabyte files every single day and have them transmitted out across the world uh, without having to really, again, pay a dime of anything. And they give me money uh, back for doing that. It's just amazing that this can even work at all financially. Who knows if it is or it isn't because we never see the books at uh, YouTube when we go through the Google financial uh, statements at the end of the quarter. But uh, it's amazing that this is actually able to happen. And I don't want this platform to go away. It's given voice to uh, millions of people that would have never had the opportunity to be in front of this many people before. And things that the platform needs to do uh, to keep that uh, thing going is really kind of important to me. So I'm glad that uh, they are taking steps to do that. It's not uh, good, perhaps, for a small channel that finally got to the prior uh, threshold, which was 10,000 overall views on the channel. In fact, one of my channels has been impacted by that. My Snippets channel, which had just gotten monetized, is now being demonetized because I don't have the subscriber count yet to qualify for the partner program, but I'll go back in and kind of keep working at it. And uh, look, if you are under that threshold, and I can tell you from my Snippets channel, uh, it's maybe bringing in five or 10 bucks a month. It really isn't significant. And as Google AdSense works, you only get paid when you hit maybe 50 or $100 a month in revenue. So I think for a lot of folks, yes, it's disappointing to get demonetized. But uh, if you are starting out and are doing it just for the money, uh, I think you need to think about what you're doing because you really need to like what you're doing in order to do what it takes to grow your channel further. This has been a 24-7 kind of activity for me. I was working yesterday on a Sunday to get some things done ahead of time for the week here, and uh, that will become your life. You will be uh, not chained to your job, but you will certainly feel a need to continually work on it far beyond maybe the 40 hours you would work at a regular job. And it does take a lot of commitment. And if you're not committed to it uh, beyond just the money, uh, then I don't know if you're going to be able to sustain it over time because it really is a commitment to uh, get yourself to a point where the money becomes something you can uh, live off of or at least supplement a good chunk of your income with. But there's another bit of news related to this change in the partner program regarding multi-channel networks. And I am not a fan of multi-channel networks. I've talked a lot about this in the past. Basically, what they do is they uh, convince people to sign up with their network with the promise that they'll make more money. But the reality is they uh, actually take a portion of your YouTube revenue, which is revenue that they've had no part in earning, but they take that as essentially a fee for being part of their network. And uh, the promise is, is that they can sell additional ads that are targeted at what you do. But the reality is most of these take far more than they give, or they take a lot from the smaller channels on their uh, roster and give it to the may maybe two or three big stars that they've got at the top. It's really a uh, Ponzi scheme, plain and simple, because they have to continue continually recruit, recruit, recruit 
to keep the money flowing in so they can afford to keep paying the people at the top. And uh, they have taken advantage of a lot of small creators, a lot of young people who uh, get the contract, don't read it, have their parents sign it, and the next thing you know, you're locked in uh, almost in perpetuity with contract terms that make it almost impossible to uh, extricate yourself from the agreement. And even if you started up a second channel, they can come after you for breach of contract. It's horrible stuff. And uh, they've been doing this for a long period of time. Uh, this is going to change now because if you are not eligible for the partner program, uh, you will now be released from your MCN. And I think this is a great thing for people that are stuck in one of these agreements and maybe stopped working on their channel because of what these MCNs were doing to them. So this is going to, I think, hopefully destabilize some of the frauds out there and uh, get rid of these bottom feeder MCN groups and release people from contract terms that really hurt them and prevented them from growing their businesses. Let's see what happens with that. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in here from NeuroBioBoy, who's wondering about the Spectre and Meltdown issues. I haven't yet talked about these things yet. And as he correctly notes, it's going to be a massive thing because these two vulnerabilities uh, impact just about every single modern Intel processor. In some cases, a number of AMD processors are impacted. And in some other cases, ARM chips, which are running on your mobile phone and tablet and TV box, may also be impacted by this too. And uh, what's happened here is that researchers have found a way to take advantage of something called branch prediction. Uh, in other words, when your processor is running, it has a bunch of things loaded into its cache memory to anticipate what you might need next. And uh, what these vulnerabilities doing in a very simplified explanation here uh, is reaching into that memory space and reading things that uh, the software shouldn't be getting access to, but it can under these two vulnerabilities. And this is actually uh, not only a software issue, but a hardware issue on the Intel chips themselves. And that makes this a very complicated vulnerability to mitigate. And because some of this mitigation has to be done in software, it's actually going to slow down perhaps some operations on computers. Now, the first thing to note here is that uh, you shouldn't be concerned about this at this very moment because these two vulnerabilities do require uh, local access to the computer to some degree for them to execute. And right now, at least at the time that I'm recording this, there is not yet a known exploit in the wild, but I am sure there will be one soon because this research is now public and out there. Uh, there's a good article here in Anantech that really explains it in a way that I think uh, sums up what you should be concerned about and also what these vulnerabilities mean. But I do think it's important that you patch your systems and get them up to date because at some point, uh, this vulnerability will be weaponized in a way that people can uh, zap them to you through maybe an ad on a website somewhere or through an email attachment or any of the other ways that people currently uh, get themselves infected with malware. In the short term, I do think the uh, vulnerabilities are the web hosting providers, the big data centers where you've got a lot of people sharing the same computer. Uh, it's possible that somebody could go into uh, their terminal session and execute code that could read uh, private information from other people that are using that cloud server, which I think is probably the more immediate concern. Nonetheless, you should patch, as I mentioned, and there's a great piece of software written by uh, GRC.com, which is Steve Gibson, who is the host of the Security Now podcast. Uh, this guy is a real treasure to the internet and to the world at large. And whenever one of these big vulnerabilities comes out, he writes a very simple uh, little tool that you can run to figure out whether or not your PC is vulnerable or not and gives you some very good advice as to how to fix it and mitigate it. I've got it running here on uh, this uh, old 
laptop that I reviewed way back in the early days of the channel in 2013. It's amazing how far uh, laptops, especially Windows laptops, have come uh, in a very short period of time. But I ran it on this one because this one is still running on Windows 7. And uh, you can see here that I patched it to the latest Windows 7 update. I am not vulnerable to meltdown now because I installed the patch here uh, on the laptop. But uh, this machine, as you'll see here, is still vulnerable to Spectre because it hasn't yet received a BIOS update, uh, which is required for the Spectre vulnerability. And this is where I think we're going to have the biggest amount of trouble because uh, is Sony going to go back to this five or six-year-old laptop and start writing BIOS updates to update the microcode on the processor? Uh, the answer is probably not. Uh, interestingly enough, though, if you were running Linux on this computer, it is possible for those Intel microcode updates to come in through the operating system. This is something that Steve Gibson reported on his podcast this week. Uh, that's something Linux can do, but Windows cannot. So all of these millions of Windows computers out there uh, are going to need a BIOS update uh, to get this vulnerability dealt with. And at the moment, I don't know if many manufacturers are going to go that far with some old piece of technology that they're no longer supporting. So it's very possible uh, that this computer might just be vulnerable forever to Spectre unless Microsoft makes some big change to Windows to allow some of those microcode updates to come through. Another big issue here is the uh, next line on uh, the Inspector software here where it says performance is slower. Now this is a third generation i7 processor uh, in this laptop and uh, it should be able to mitigate this issue without a significant performance slowdown. At least that's what Steve's app reported here uh, before I implemented the patch. So before it was saying the performance would be good, we shouldn't see a huge difference in speed. Uh, but because I'm running Windows 7, I am not going to get the best possible performance after this patch is installed. And that is all on Microsoft, who has decided to uh, really focus their energies on Windows 10, but not on Windows 7 or 8. So if you're on the older versions of Windows uh, 7 or 8, because XP is not going to get this patch at all, uh, you are going to potentially, depending on what you're doing, uh, see a slowdown here. And this is something Microsoft has decided to do. They could have made Windows 7 uh, initiate this patch with the same performance as 10, but they are choosing not to. And I don't know where this is going to lead because we just saw what happened with Apple and their phone slowdown issue. Uh, Microsoft here is choosing to make their older operating systems potentially run slower after these patches are installed. Now, in fairness, uh, we did uh, install the patches on this little laptop here. And afterward, I ran uh, a Geekbench benchmark as well as a um, uh, browserbench.org speedometer test, which is what we use to measure web performance in our computer reviews. And uh, with this patch on and with it off, the results were the same. So for the things that those benchmarks measure, uh, this computer performed identically uh, irrespective of the patch status. But there might be things that you do, perhaps in a data center, where those results would be different. But at least for what we benchmarked on this computer, uh, it came in about the same. Now, one last thing on Steve's tool here that's really useful is that if you are running something that you know might be impacted by this particular patch, uh, you can disable the patches on a temporary basis here uh, by just clicking this button here on his app. He's able to dip into the registry, uh, disable those things. You reboot the computer, and when it comes back up, uh, you're vulnerable, but you won't have the performance issues. So if you're doing something that you know is going to be impacted, you can turn it off here with his tool, 
reboot, do your thing, uh, turn it back on, and then reboot again, and you'll be protected once more. So I definitely suggest checking out the Inspector app. It is so small, it'll fit on a floppy disk, and it really does provide a lot of good information and peace of mind, because you can scroll through here, and it will uh, tell you everything you need to know to get your computer protected and uh, what you should be thinking about related to this vulnerability, and I'm sure there'll be more on this uh, as things develop. And there's also some bad behavior to report on the part of Intel's CEO related to this issue because he apparently sold uh, just about every share he could in the company while this issue was still being held confidential by Intel and their partners. So this did not get out until the register out of the UK uh, dropped this bombshell article a few weeks ago that opened this entire thing op up to the public. Before that, uh, everybody was keeping this quiet so they could get everything patched before it was publicly disclosed to prevent uh, some attacks getting out there in the wild before they had a solution to the issue. And during that silent period, the Intel CEO cashed out, and uh, this is undoubtedly going to put him under some scrutiny. We saw a similar issue with Equifax recently where uh, the credit agency was uh, basically breached by hackers and had all that information released out to the world. And uh, guess what? A lot of members of Equifax's executive team also sold their stock. They were found to not have had knowledge of that issue I don't believe it, but uh, the SEC apparently did an investigation of them and concluded there was no issue there. I think the Intel CEO is going to have a harder time pleading ignorance given that he runs the company, and this is probably the greatest uh, crisis the company has faced in some time. So we'll see where all of this develops moving forward, but uh, not very good on the part of the Intel CEO. You can read more about it at the link there. And speaking of security vulnerabilities, I got this note in from Chris Bernard in regards to the WD MyCloud line of network-attached storage devices. I've covered a lot of them in the past. Uh, in full disclosure, a couple of years ago, WD did sponsor a few videos here on the channel as well. And I use a WD MyCloud as my media server here in the house. And apparently, uh, there was a number of security vulnerabilities that uh, were disclosed after a long period of inaction by WD, one of them being a hard-coded uh, backdoor, an admin username and password that was common to every single MyCloud out there, including ones that have not had a firmware update. Uh, so my strong suggestion is pause the video right now. If you have one of these MyClouds, uh, go into your control panel and make sure its firmware is updated to the latest version so that you can uh, get some of these vulnerabilities knocked down. Uh, there's a researcher who's been doing a lot of work with this over at Gulf Tech. Uh, you can find that link down below. This is what uh, Chris sent over to me. So you can keep an eye on any future issues with it. And I would probably check that firmware update every couple of days to make sure it is up to date. The MyCloud should update automatically, but there are ways to disable that automatic firmware update. So just to be safe, go in and make sure you've got the latest one installed on your device. Uh, one thing that I've done with mine, and I do this not only on my MyCloud, but also on my Synology drives, is I've disabled uh, the cloud services that WD provides. And I'm going to be setting up my own VPN here at the house so that I can get into uh, my network attached storage devices more securely than relying on somebody else to do it. And I'll show you how to do that in an upcoming video. I've been talking about doing this for a long time. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I haven't had the need, but uh, after I did that uh, teleport review a couple of days ago, it kind of refreshed my memory that I need to start uh, working on this. Now, many routers have 
uh, VPN functionality built in. In fact, my Synology router here can do uh, OpenVPN, which is a very secure open source protocol. Uh, but I'll look at a, a method that would work across any router. So we'll find a way to have a little server installed inside the house here that we can point our router at and get a more secure way to access our files remotely. Stay tuned, that'll be coming up in a few weeks. And this next question comes in from that man 84 emulation in regards to uh, some of these retro game consoles that play multiple consoles on a single device. I'm thinking about the Retron 5, for example, that allows you to plug your cartridges into the top. It dumps the cartridge from five or six different systems and then uh, allows you to play those games in emulation on your television. And as it turns out, a lot of these consoles are using a uh, software library developed by LibRetro, which is a uh, development group, an open source development group that has written a number of emulators and some engines behind them and are finding that their software is being used in these hardware devices uh, without their permission. And a few weeks ago, uh, there was an article posted on the LibRetro website about this issue appealing to game journalists to uh, focus a little bit more on this issue. And this is really going to be in regards to uh, consoles that are emulating something as opposed to some of these hardware-based consoles that we've looked at recently. So, uh, for example, I think we looked at that Classic 2 HD the other day. Uh, that is a hardware solution. There's no emulation going on uh, running in software on that one. But uh, consoles like the Retron 5 or the Game Freak are uh, what are being talked about here. And this is an example of an issue where if you don't have a lot of money in your nonprofit foundation to protect your uh, your intellectual property, it's very hard to enforce the licenses, uh, which is what is happening here. And he's appealing to game journalists to start looking at this issue a little bit more because uh, these people are profiting off of his work and uh, he's not able to defend his intellectual property financially. Uh, he did have one positive development here after he posted that. Uh, the people that have uh, been making the retro freak have actually suspended sales of the product while they research whether or not uh, they are indeed violating his intellectual property. So that was a pretty big uh, development here. In fact, I went on Amazon to look at whether or not the Retro Freak was available. At the moment, it is currently unavailable. So it looks like they made good on their commitment here to him to uh, at least look into this matter and figure out where they go from, from here with it. I would imagine if they did find themselves in violation, they could probably bring in some other emulation library that uh, might be willing to have it as part of their console. But it was good to see at least one group or one company respond to this request appropriately while others are not. I believe Retrobit has a console that is under the ire of LibRetro along with uh, the Retron 5. And again, this is one of those issues where if you can't afford to defend your intellectual property, people can take advantage of it. And unfortunately, it looks like without a lot of legal weight behind LibRetro, they're not going to be able to do much about this. But perhaps we as uh, people who cover and review these products can mention this or talk about this a little bit more when we know that they're actually using uh, open source licenses uh, without a license to do so. And in our Q&A for you this week, I'd love to know if you have patched your computer for uh, Spectre and Meltdown and if you are noticing any performance issues since you have done that. I believe my Mac that I edit a lot of my video on has gotten the update. I haven't seen any real differences in performance, but I'd be curious if you've encountered any or have heard about anyone encountering some of these issues, let me know in the comments below. Our channel of the week this week is uh, none other than Steve Gibson's Security Now podcast. They have it on YouTube in video form, but you can also download it with your favorite podcatching application. And 
This is a spectacular podcast for keeping up on all of the latest security news. And Steve really is a uh, flat-out genius when it comes to a lot of this stuff. He is best known for a, a hard drive utility called Spinrite, which has saved a bunch of my hard drives in the past. He has been working on this software for the last 30 years or so. It goes all the way back to the beginning of hard drives. But he does a lot of other tinkering around, and he's got really a great podcast here. It's part of the Twit Network that if you haven't listened to it yet, you should. And he's got a lot of great uh, just updates on the latest security news in addition to a lot of educational material, too. And you've got a lot of years to catch up on there. They've been on the air now for 10 years every single week. So this week on this channel, we're going to be hopefully finally getting to my comparison of the Xbox One S versus the NVIDIA Shield. I was playing around a little bit more with it this weekend, and I've got some really uh, cool things to show you on both sides of the equation there. And I'll let you know whether or not the uh, Xbox has unseated the Shield as my uh, top pick for TV boxes. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we're also looking at a all-in-one from TechLast this week. I was hoping to get to this last week, but we didn't have the right power adapter in the box. And this is a uh, all-in-one that is running with a Core M3 processor that costs about 500 bucks from GearBest. Uh, so you'll probably want to patch that uh, vulnerability on this one. Who knows if you'll get the BIOS patch, but uh, it does uh, seem to be working pretty nicely. And Corey's uh, doing some footage on it right now, so that'll be up later this week. I also got this uh, in the other day, and the review is ready to go on this. This is a keyboard from Cherry. Uh, they do make keyboards, and this is a silent red switched keyboard. It's not completely silent, but it's a lot quieter than the non-silent red switches. So we'll look at that mechanical keyboard and see how that works. I hope to get to this Newton thing at some point. I just keep putting it in here so I don't forget about it. I really do want to share my love of the Newton with all of you. I just need to get my old Mac out of the uh, back there and set it back up again so I can try to sync up some software with it. I really want to show how it worked with the computer and everything else, and I've got to bring out a lot of old hardware uh, to do that. I can't get it to work on that Mac because I don't have any way of getting data to it very easily, so i got to take out the other one I've got uh, locked away in storage in the house here somewhere. So stay tuned. That will be coming up soon when I get some time. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, one of my favorite media serving applications. If you sign up for a free Plex account at lon.tv Plex, we get a small commission. You can also gift a Plex Pass to somebody that you know. If you've already got a Plex account and a Plex Pass at lon.tv slash Plex gift, that might be something you want to give to somebody. We've got a bunch of other channels to look at, too. The Extras channel, where I do unboxings and supplementary content. we got the podcast, which has audio versions of this show and a few other things that I do at lon.tv slash podcast. My newly demonetized Snippets channel is at uh, lon.tv slash snippets, which has uh, shorter little chunks from uh, this video and others from the main channel here. And I archive my live streams at lon.tv slash live streams. Now, I do want you to click on the notification bell so you get a uh, push notification every time I do something here on the channel, if you don't mind. And we have other ways to engage with the channel as well. You can go to lon.tv slash email for my email list. I finally sent out an email last week after my uh, CES coverage was done. So let me know if you got it. I think it went to a lot of spam boxes. So I'm curious to see how many of you received it. So let me know uh, down below. If not, check your spam for it. Uh, we have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook and my store where I resell things that I've purchased here for review on the channel. And I don't have a lot in there at the moment, but I will be adding more to the store uh, shortly if I get a little extra time at the end of the week. And you can get notified whenever I make a change in inventory by going to lon.tv slash store alert. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support and feedback. 
I do look forward to your future feedback and all the stuff I'm going to post up this week. So keep those questions and comments coming. This is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, Steve Blixt, Stanley Taub, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.